0: If you're an engineering mind that's great at building product, but you don't know how to get the product in a customer's hands, you don't have a business that can do anything. If you're a great salesperson and a visionary, but don't know a thing about building product and is burning money through engineers or don't know how to hire quality, that becomes a thing. So having that self-awareness to figure out what team do I need early on to get the right MVP or product to market in the right hands and then figuring out how to even charge for that is really important.
1: Welcome to Hiring School, a weekly podcast about recruiting for non-recruiters. I'm Jackie Koch, and I have over 15 years of experience prospecting talent and building teams for Fortune 500 companies, startups, and small businesses in all different types of industries. I'm the founder and CEO of People Principles, where I help founders scale and lead their teams with programs, courses, and boutique agency services. My goal is to simplify the hiring and team building process so that you, founders, and not so solopreneurs, can implement modern, effective, and efficient hiring strategies that help you build the team that you want to help you scale. If you can't seem to find the right job candidates or simply don't know where to start, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Hiring School, a podcast that simplifies the hiring and team building processes for you, the busy entrepreneur. Today's episode is a very fun, exciting interview with a fresh, slightly different perspective than we've had with other guests on the show so far. Today, we're chatting with the two co-founders of a venture capital investment firm called New Age Capital, Ladante McMillan and Ivan Allo. LaDonte and Ivan have been longtime friends and business partners who've grown together since college. They've known each other for over 14 years, and we dig into that a little bit on the show. Right after college, got into the New York tech scene and decided to found and start New Age Capital about six years ago. And their mission is to create and support a world where people of all races, ethnicities, cultures, lifestyles, and environments are exposed to new ideas, democratized information, and boundless opportunities through the use of technology. I mean, you can really hear it when they talk, but they believe technology can really, you know, change the game and change the world. And they are a seed stage venture capital firm and lifestyle company that invests in tech and tech-enabled startups that are founded and led by Black and Latinx entrepreneurs. So in our conversation, we talk all about the types of traits they look for in leaders that they invest in, because at the end of the day, yes, you're investing in a company, but you're investing in a person and a leader. So we dig into the different leadership qualities that they really look for when they decide to invest in a company. We also talk about how building a well-functioning team early on matters, and it can actually impact your ability to raise capital for your business. In the future. So it's something that you as a business owner need to think about early on because it not only obviously affects the success of your business, but if you do plan to build a business to raise capital in the future, how you build the team and how you create the systems to make it work definitely can impact your business. And so you can follow and learn more about New Age Capital on their website, newage.vc. So let's welcome Ladante and Yvonne to the podcast. Well, hello, guys. Thank you so much for joining Hiring School. I'm so excited to offer a different approach to hiring and speak to some folks who are in the VC world and what you guys look for and the advice that you give your your portfolio companies in hiring. So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Shaggy.
1: Of course. So I would love to dig in first with, you guys are co-founders together, right? So you work together, but I'm sure you have your own stories out before you became one. So I would love to just Dive in, and maybe each of you could give a quick intro to your background and kind of what led you to starting to work together.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So this is Yvonne, one a half of a New Age Capital, and I was really interested in entrepreneurship. I would say from a very early age, you know, having little side hustles in school, buying candy in bulk at Costco and selling it at a higher price in school, and and, and really just kind of understanding enterprise and things like that was, was really exciting. I knew. As I started to get older and and saw one of my mom's best friends working in the real estate space, owning a few properties and being an agent, that that was going to be a really exciting career path for me. So the goal was initially real estate investment. It was something tangible that I knew I understood and I was just like really excited and, and inspired by the metropolis of New York City and how, you know, that whole city emerged. So, you know, my goal was to start, you know, from a small little suburban town in Jersey where I grew up and kind of, you know, eventually become a, a real estate mogul. So I ended up studying finance at BC. So ledonte and I, we've known each other for about 14 years now. We went to uh, Boston College together. And uh, he's one of the first people I actually met at orientation our freshman year. And he actually even ended up helping me move into my room when I drove up to campus. But um, I think we just reflected and believed in a lot of the same things, had a lot of the same ambitions as far as, you know, what we wanted out of our lives, which were a lot of grandiose ideas and dreams and the concept of entrepreneurship. We didn't know exactly what form it would take, but I knew for me it'd be in some form in real estate. And I think from there, as we advanced through our years and then eventually graduated, realized that that's what I ultimately wanted to do, but the barriers to entry for real estate investment were really high number one barrier, needing access to capital and a lot of it and didn't come from money, didn't have access to any of it. So I think for me, I started to realize very quickly, you know, really the only other path to get to that was working in some institution or corporation in real estate, which I ended up doing, and then hopefully working my way up to build some pedigree and hopefully spinning out to do my own thing. But it was a different form of entrepreneurship than technology entrepreneurship, which is what Ladante and I had gotten exposed to about a year or so after we graduated. And it was just a different world. Like you didn't need as much capital to get started. Um, You know, if you knew how to build some code and had some great ideas and could put a payment gate wall on something, you initially had the start of a company that could go on to be an Airbnb or Uber or whatever. And I think that was really fascinating. Um, So that led to my pivot. And I think with Dante's kind of pivot, he was already kind of working in the space, but led to us both pivoting to wanting to do something in the tech space. And I'll pass it to him and uh, give a little bit about it.
1: That's awesome. Were you guys ever college roommates?
0: Yes. Yeah, so we actually were our senior year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. And you're still friends. So that's a good sign. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, similar
2: to Yvonne, I, I, I think I wanted to be an entrepreneur very early on. I was able to see my dad who had, had his own business. He had an audio production company. He was also, he helped start a radio station in Philadelphia. And so, I was able to see kind of on the more creative side how you can use utilize your talents and make money. Um, and he was also somebody who was constantly hustling and constantly working, whether it was not only his own audio production company, but he would also get paid to like show up to clubs back in the day. And so I just saw the power of that. And so I actually ended up picking up a camera, filming me and my friend skateboarding, and realized I fell in love with storytelling. And eventually, and even in my college application, I submitted a video of me and my friends skateboarding, trying to like tell a story. But I fell in love with this idea of connecting with folks through the lens. There's like a visceral emotional feeling we all get when we watch something that is really good or we hear a story that is really good. And I like the being the person that helps convey that story or connect those dots. And so went to BC for for filmmaking and, and was able to hone my skills a little bit more, but I always knew that I wanted to actually have my own video production company after graduating more of it, quite frankly, eventually in my life. And then after graduation, I ended up starting my own company called LDM film perspective. And really what I was focused on was trying to help tell the story of startups and then kind of fledgling businesses that were selling their first product or kind of trying to give a backstory on what they, what they are doing. And so that through LDM film perspective allowed me to start learning about technology and startups, technology startups specifically. I mean, Yvonne and I would actually go to tech meetups in New York at the time. And that's when we started to dive into the tech space and started to understand, understand what, what it takes to build a tech company, kind of what are the inputs, the outputs, what is everybody's role within the, the, within the space. And we just got kind of really got enveloped by the idea and, it was at a time in New York when there was a lot of things happening. WeWork, I think, was taking off. So there are a bunch of WeWorks everywhere, which then was creating like different ecosystems around New York, around technology. And you know what I mean? So that we kind of just got enthralled with a lot of that and started rolling up our sleeves and, and, and helping founders.
1: And I feel like, at least in my experience, joining tech companies and startups in general, you kind of get that. You get that entrepreneurial itch scratched a little, or entrepreneurial itch scratched, because you're not in this large, archaic company that there's all these red tape, all this red tape. Like you really have a lot of ownership over your function. So I imagine that kind of helped you guys feel, even though you weren't maybe doing your own thing right away, that you you were getting some of that and and learning. I imagine.
2: Yeah, I think the beautiful thing about this space, and quite frankly, I think you can do it with with a lot of industries, but they're, they're less, because it's still pretty fresh. You can kind of get into it however you want. You can kind of make your own name. You can make your own connections. You can build your own brand from literally nothing. I mean, I, quite frankly, that's what we did. And that is entrepreneurial in itself.
1: For sure. So, did you both end up working together at a startup together, or what, I guess, what morphed into you starting New Age Capital? How did that come about and how long ago?
2: So, when we were going to these tech meetups, we decided that it was best to just learn as much as we can. So, we talked to as many people as we can. And quite frankly, we just started trying to be helpful. We didn't really ask for anything in return to a lot of these founders, but we just wanted to learn what it takes. And so, we were actually just helping founders wherever we could. And we were helping one in particular who was building a fintech company. And for us, it was, a, it was our chance to see how fundraising works. And I think he was raising a friends and family around. for It was a first chance for us to see how product development works and kind of putting together like a business strategy and things like that. And we spent some months with him trying to, and I, and I will say this concurrently, we're also running to Google University, soaking up as much podcasts, blogs, tweets, whatever we can learn Synthesize it for ourselves, which made sense, and then try to have some constructive feedback for the for founders. And we did that for a few months. And then ultimately that relationship ended. And what Yvonne and I kind of came got out of it was we could probably do this ourselves. And so that was probably one of the second or third iterations of us trying to work together. I think we had come up with some other ideas. One of the first early ideas was this like we first graduated, we're like, we want to throw parties, but like for young adults who are like working. And, and at the time- this, Sounds
1: great. <laughs>
2: yeah. At the time, this was also where like Airbnb was just getting started. So we were trying to like rent out Airbnbs, which would basically just be places for us to party.
1: So much. I, I imagine there would be a lot of issues with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, this idea around creating an app, it was more a, a FinTech app, I think really resonated with us because the idea for us was we wanted to create a uh, app that was based around crowd savings. And it would teach people financial literacy and it would help people save money. So it wasn't something that we had growing up. Financial literacy wasn't something that we had growing up.
1: I feel like so many people don't have that. It's crazy.
2: It's still, still, it's still an issue. And so we figured if we can create an app that could help people learn how to save. And essentially what we would do is like the three of us would be saving towards a common goal. And while on that path, we would understand how to better manage our finances, what we need to do be spending on rent, just all these different things that would basically quite frankly be like like what nerd wallet is today, but actually uh, it's more interactions, user interaction. And we spent a year on that. We and, and we spent a year on trying to figure out what the design of the product was gonna be, getting the product developed, which we were all pretty comfortable with, even the strategizing around the business. I think the thing that we realized was the hindrance of that company actually being successful was around raising capital. And this is around a time where the concentrations of capital, specifically venture capital in New York, were not high at all. And most of the capital was still primarily in San Francisco or the Bay Area. And so that was one level of kind of well, that was one obstacle. Then overall, that means we would have to fly to San Francisco and then go pitch a bunch of VCs and hopefully get capital. Then how many Black people were actually going able to do that? Less than 1%. There was nobody really that were black that was actually able to raise VC capital, especially at that time, because VCs weren't even looking for that or open to open to a different background than they, had been, than they had used to invest in. And so these things started to mount up, and then we started to realize how many how much capital we were going to actually need to raise. And at 24, 25 years old, it was just like, eh, I don't think we're, I don't think this is actually going to work out. We're probably not the best individuals to solve this problem. But when we started to have conversations with other founders, specifically Black and Latino founders, we started to realize like we weren't the only ones having issues. And quite frankly, their products were way further along than ours. They were able to figure out how to get revenues, how to somehow bring in some other capital to get their products off the ground. And that's when somebody encouraged us, a friend of ours encouraged us to start thinking about starting a fund to actually solve the problem of capital allocation specifically for this demographic. And that's kind of where the seedlings of New Age Capital started.
1: And how rewarding, I have to imagine. And also how nice to not be building a technology product, <laughs> or maybe it's not. I don't know. It's probably like supporting multiple companies doing it, I have to imagine, is maybe just double the stress or triple the stress. Who knows?
2: There's, it's, there's give and takes. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So were you guys, how long were you each building your own careers while doing your own thing together?
0: I'd say about five years. Well, I would say we were maybe a couple years into building our own careers when we started getting exposed to and and really trying to figure out where we wanted to be in the tech industry. And then I would say, yeah, it was probably around, call it five years where we kind of realized, you know, new age capital was was likely going to be that thing for us four or five years in. So it definitely wasn't an intentional thing. We had tried a few other types of businesses, you know, in the past that we wanted to work on, as Adante had mentioned. But for some reason, this one kept sticking. I mean, it was something we would constantly be thinking about, talking about. And, you know, our whole thing was, all right, let's take little chances, try little things to see if we keep getting pulled in that direction. But if we keep hitting roadblocks, then we'll, you know, like some of the other endeavors we tried, and. Maybe that's not the path for us, but we weren't getting roadblocks. I felt like it was kind of like pulling us in the more we'd kind of try and, and try. So I think around, I would say around 2016 was when we launched, you know, a website, you know, and then brand and name didn't have an, a penny of capital and didn't really know where it was coming from, didn't know how we we're going to set up a fund or anything. But I think just psychologically, just setting up a website and coming up with the name New Age Capital and saying, hey, we're going to commit ourselves to this path was kind of the the motivation and that energy we needed to really push us in that direction to really start focusing on it, you know, on a more strategic basis.
1: Awesome. So obviously, you know, this podcast is a lot about hiring and developing teams. I'm curious, did you guys have exposure to doing that? on your own outside of the, the capital firm or were you kind of learning it all together?
0: Yeah, so two things I would say, I personally believe, and I think it's kind of how we even operate now, an innate gift that LaDonte and I both have is high emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And that comes from a really early age, just from things we've experienced in our lives that essentially forced us to develop those things. But I think the development of them consistently over time from a really young age put us in a position where whether it was team projects or playing a sport or even managing our bosses in our original jobs that we have to a degree very much got us to understand that at the end of the day it doesn't matter like if it's a corporation if it's a team or whatever most of everything is centered around human psychology and that's the core of team building and figuring out you know people's strengths and weaknesses how they're going to work together so i think along the way we've always deeply thought about, you know, how teams are built, how people decide to work together. And I think it was innate in our relationship and and deciding even to work together ourselves and really questioning what we cared about individually and then together and where each of our strengths and weaknesses are and where we should be willing to relinquish control or take a step back and have our ego take a step back to, you know, Ladante who had more experience in a certain realm or had a better skill set, and not to say he's always right about something, but probably had a better framing or or perspective than I would, and, and vice versa.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. And it's got to be, I'm sure you talk a lot about this with some of your your companies is how to pick a, a co-founder or your senior leadership team, I imagine, is is such an important part of it. So Question I have is there's a lot of reasons why a company may need to raise funds, right? And I think listeners on the show would be so interested to hear, like, at what point do you raise money to scale and build a team? Like, should that be one of the major reasons why you look for fundraising? Or what are some of the reasons that people will look to raise money to for their business?
0: I'm going to approach it from two perspectives. So like before any discussions around needing to raise capital and then after. Basically, a startup is essentially a collection of a couple individuals or an individual that's figured out a way to create some product. It could be a technology product. It could be a CPG product, whatever. And thought up some ideas and and found a problem they wanted to solve or some wedge that they wanted to fill, came up with some product to fill that wedge and then made a series of decisions to essentially get that product in the hands of a consumer for some type of economic value that they could get back to keep growing that business, right? At its core, it's just a series of decisions around creating economic value, or should be. Last couple of years, I don't know if, this, if that's been the case. But And I think when you start from that vantage point and you want to solve a problem or fill a wedge, I think and in, in thinking about building team, when you look at yourself as a founder, I think it's really... We often talk about this. It's really important to identify what is the skill set of myself or someone I want to bring on or others that are working together with me to actually provide the one develop, but also provide that economic value to the world. Do I have the skill set to actually build a product or to sell the product or to tell the vision to be able to attract people to the product or to market the product? Right. And that matters first and foremost, more than anything, because sometimes a lot of founders will get caught up in like, I have a dope product and I know it solves this problem because the current solutions suck. And that's great, but that's just not how it works. Right. And it's like, if you're an engineering mind, that's great at building product, but you don't know how to get the product in a customer's hands. You don't have a business that can do anything. If you're a great salesperson and a visionary, but don't know a thing about building product and it's burning money through engineers or don't know how to hire quality, that becomes a thing. So having that self-awareness to figure out what team do I need early on to get the right MVP or product to market in the right hands, and then figuring out how to even charge for that is really important. And it's okay. None of us know everything. We have our strengths and weaknesses. So it's important to identify, all right, what team do I need to place around this? And we believe there should be no money that goes into that. You don't even really know if you have something, right? So figure out how you need to put a team together to even decide whether or not the market wants our product. If you're lucky enough to get through that phase, build a product, be able to market it to customers, be able to get customers on the platform or using it or buying it and paying for it, and there's an opportunity to scale that growth and really build a bigger company, and you start thinking about raising capital, the way LaDante and I think about it is, you need to raise capital, at least at the seed stage where we invest, which I think is a very different perspective, quite frankly, than a lot of seed investors. Our mentality is you want to raise money when things are starting to work and there is no other thing you can do to push forward that progress, but to raise capital. Like the bottleneck is capital at the seed stage where you figure these things out. You've gotten your first employee or two and You know, the customer is trying to pull the product out of you, but you can't build or you can't iterate on it quick enough. You don't have enough salespeople to be able to get you there. And then I would say, you know, beyond our stage, call it series and beyond, you've kind of really turned it into a well old machine. And like now you're raising capital to kind of compound the math equation, so to speak. But I think when you look at building a team and fundraising, there's this kind of, you know, new celebrity zeitgeist around venture capital raising money the last five, six, seven years where everyone's like, oh, I'm going to build a company. I want to be an entrepreneur. I need to go raise capital when the real thing should be, I'm never trying to sell equity in my business or give any part of it up. And I'm only doing it when I'm forced to. And if I'm forced to, I'm making sure I'm getting the value out of spending those dollars the right way by hiring the right people, but also leveraging the investors that have given me those dollars to actually accelerate, you know, the company's path, whether it's through helping me hire executives and work.
1: For sure. I know there is so much glorification of like, oh, we just raised $40 million. You're like, congratulations, you have $40 million of debt. Exactly. And that was one thing I loved about my last CEO when I was in-house is she thought about it that way, right? So she was very thoughtful of, of the money we raised and the actual impact of it. And so I love that you bring that up because I do think there's this, I don't even know if it's a goal. I don't know what I would call it, but it's like when you say you've raised money, it's like you've made it. And I think it's the actual opposite in some ways, right?
0: It's a weird perspective that I, I partly blame media and, and and the venture industry for. It initially was something that I think was to recognize a milestone that a company is making progress and you know could be something big. And then it became an accomplishment. And then it's like, like you said, Congrats! You raised forty million. Now you have to go turn that into eighty million, or one hundred twenty million, or four hundred million. Um, and the reality of it is, there's very few businesses that can scale and compound at that pace. But you know, I think what founders were convinced of is that oh, it's going to help me raise. uh, It's going to help me attract more talent, and having this big name VC is going to make me more credible and make me look better as a CEO. And you know, all those things could potentially be true, but they really don't factor that much into the fundamentals of building an efficient business that can eventually generate profit for the economic value it's provided.
1: So when you invest in a business and I'm assuming they tell you what their plans are for the money that you invest, how involved do you want to be in their hiring process? What I mean, obviously, I know you're not interviewing them, but What kind of metrics, what kind of information do you like? And do you find valuable about keeping updated on the team building and how, so I guess I'll start there. And then I have questions on, do you like to get involved in like how well the team is working together too? Do you get involved in either one of those things?
2: The thing that we care a lot about at the earliest stages is your ability to communicate. I think communication is probably one of the best traits to have as a CEO. And quite frankly, as many people who want to be entrepreneurs, if they don't have that skill, they may not be a great entrepreneur because your ability to communicate your vision, to attract people to your vision, to sell your vision, to to somebody who may need to get paid but may take the hit in order to see your vision through could be the make or break of your company. And I think when Yvonne and I start looking at opportunities in different teams, we look at the CEO and the CEO's ability to attract talent. What have they been able to do up until the point have, that they met us? What is the team that they've been able to acquire? They were, were they able to pull somebody from whatever name brand company, or were they able to bring somebody up that they saw something in? All that stuff plays into our investment decision because it it allows us to understand and extrapolate a little bit about your ability to sell your dream and communicate your vision as a company, and then even more so, the thing that matters for us is we we don't meet a team and then immediately pull the trigger. Well, we've done it once, but and it's coming around to bite us in the ass. But so now take, you don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> typically we try to. We, it typically takes us three to six months before we actually six months really to, to write a check. And that's because of what you said, we like to see how teams operate and execute together. And when things, when you tell us one thing, do, does your team execute on that thing? Or does things do things go awry? And if they do go awry, which nine times out of 10, they do, what are you communicating? What went wrong? And can you articulate why things went wrong? And I think, that's what matters to us the most. We're not going to sit in and, and hire folks. We'll try to be helpful if we know potential, like we've, we've suggested people in our network before for some of our portfolio companies, but that's really not our job. I think our job is to provide you with capital and guidance and maybe and resources to make sure that you're successful, but it is your job as a CEO to be that communicator, to be the salesperson, to be the engineer, to do all these things to make sure that your business is successful and you're using the right resources, either from us, from advisors, from other investors, to make sure that you can hire the right team members, hire the right engineers, the growth marketers, whatever it is that you actually need for your team in order for your business to be successful. But that also goes back to what Yvonne said earlier with self-awareness. None of this stuff happens without you being self-aware of what your strengths and weaknesses are and what you need to build a successful business.
1: I do find that so interesting because I think that a lot of times when someone's growing a business team, they know a good, efficient team is important, but they oftentimes are like, oh, we'll figure it out when, like, we'll figure it out when, and they don't realize that when you have one person, you have the ability, like on your team, you have the ability to create, like start doing it right then and there. And there are certain skills that you can work on developing as a leader when you even have just a part-time person helping you. And the more you work on developing those skills when you're small, not only does it help you scale and grow, but what you guys are saying, it really helps sway investing decisions. And so it's so critical to think about this stuff super early instead of putting it off. And I think I've walked into startups that waited far too long to really think about it. Somehow they ended up getting a lot of fundraising and it was painful <laughs> trying to fix it. But I think, you know, I love that you say that because I do think it's so important early and you you bring up such an important point for sure.
2: One of our portfolio companies, which we kind of are always in awe at, for one, they, their ability to manage capital is amazing. But one of the, I think it was a team of three and then they had maybe like one contractor engineer. They're like doing exit interviews. Like they were doing, and they had full write-ups and reports on this is what this person said. And Yvonne and I were just like, please take more of our money. Like th- th- those are the types of things that even if it fails, you feel much more comfortable as an investor that this founder did everything possible to make sure that they were running their business as efficiently and as professionally as possible. And they were, used, they were good stewards of our capital, as opposed to like you were saying, like people waiting until you know, they're $50, $100 million of raised capital. And then they're trying to now hire somebody in HR to fix all, all the bad things that they've done. Which is done impossible. It, which is, it's impossible. And I mean, one of the things we think about as as I think what make, makes us really good VCs, and granted we don't have exits, but I think it which makes us really good stewards of capital is that we're really good stewards of our own personal capital. And if you don't know how to manage a dollar, you're not going to know how to manage... 10, 20, when you start getting into the millions, and I think that's the same thing as transferable when you talk about anything, even with hiring and building, you got to start small. You got to start with the foundation. And if it's a shitty foundation, then you, the company is going to have a lot of issues.
1: Yeah. Oh, you guys have to go on money mindset podcasts. I feel like you could <laughs> offer such a great perspective because there's so much to unpack there. And I am not the expert in that. So we will not, we'll leave, leave that to the experts. What do you feel are some of the most important roles that, people hire early on or functions, I guess. What advice do you give to your portfolio companies on the core roles to have in place, I guess, to grow?
0: We kind of look at it as like internal and external hires from the lens of like what you can outsource versus like what needs to be on the team. And, and it's pretty interesting. It, it, it's all subjective, obviously, you know, depending on the type of company it is. But I would say early on, something that's crucial is, and that could be the CEO or maybe somebody they need to hire, somebody that fundamentally understands the finances of the business and how it works, and somebody that fundamentally understands processes, procedures, and how to execute on the vision, right? So whatever the product is, like who's setting the product development roadmap and who's managing the engineers, or, you know, if it's a CPG company, like who's managing the supply chain and figuring all that, all that stuff out. So, it is very subjective to the type of business you have, but I think those two things you can always kind of anchor around and then build everything else around it. As far as the financial side, because with early stage, you know, going to LaDante's point, it's actually kind of frightening how few people manage their personal finances well. And these people are also founders, right? So it's not out of any, you know, lack of care or concern, but it can be overwhelming you know, looking at spreadsheets and seeing all these numbers and here's how much you can pay for employees and here's the other expenses and all these other things. It's, it's easy to kind of close your eyes and be like, oh, but we're building a great product and customers are buying it. So like, I can worry about that later. For us, if there's no one on the team that has that experience, it's extremely important. We think early on to either hire a part-time accountant, or if you have the financial resources to actually You know, bring on an outsourced CFO firm to essentially like work with you in that right because we've seen it. We've seen companies that we've introduced to them that you know have got them on board right away, even though there was a little bit of hesitation, and how it's fundamentally changed their mindset and given them a superpower and how they can manage their business because they know where the capital is coming from and how it flows and who they can hire and how hiring certain individuals will affect the bottom line and and the timeline of all this versus founders who kind of waited too long. And they're essentially like managing their finances by opening up Bank of America or, you know, their payroll app and being like, oh shit, like after this payroll, we have two payrolls left. And it's like, that's just not, you can't build a legit company if you don't have a handle on the finances. And then on the operational side as well.
1: So finance, somebody to manage finance and, and lead ideally more strategic finance, right? I would imagine to help set up systems for sure. And then some sort of operational role, it sounds like whether, you know, and that operational role could be more tech focused or it could be more supply chain fulfillment, like whatever your business is. Definitely. That makes sense. I work with a lot of smaller businesses who maybe are not raising money, but a lot of times it's like one entrepreneur who needs to hire someone for the first time. And they always want to hire an assistant first. Does this come up in your conversations at all? And I'm curious what your opinion is on that.
2: We haven't had anybody outright, like, I need an assistant. Now we'll say there's probably some founders that we have that were like, you probably need an assistant. That's
1: true. They're probably at the stage that they actually do.
2: But it hasn't come up. And it's not as, um, I would say within like the space that at least we invest, it doesn't come because they're... You're hiring more than one person at a time. You're you're hiring for specific roles. That doesn't really come up until you know later on down the line when
0: there's they're, they've raised millions of dollars and, and what. What we do believe is a red flag, though, is founders, especially the ones at this early stage, that like seem very removed from the business or want to be by needing to hire an assistant to you know answer their emails or they have a third person that's working with them, you know, that's running their fundraising process. Like it's our belief fundamentally, like that nobody forced you to become an entrepreneur. You decided to go down this path. And if you want to be successful, it's very important early on that you at least experience all the functions and you can see inside every aspect of the business and know what you're doing and really realize like, Hey, like, no, I know what my customers are thinking. I know what you know, what it is to raise capital. I I know what's going on in the supply chain. I have to be organized and and, and manage my email, right? Like there are some people where they're super organized and others, they struggle with that. But like, if you're going to be a CEO or like run a business, like you, you have to learn how to be organized and like figure it out. So I would say at a certain point, it probably makes sense, but doing it too early kind of removes, at least in my perspective, removes the actual value that you need to add to the business in the early stages when it's so fragile.
1: I love what you just brought up there that you have to experience the stuff that maybe you don't even know. Like you, you gotta at least learn it. You have to experience it. And that's early on. And that's part of the, what, you know, can be overwhelming at times for sure. I often tell people instead of an assistant, cause you're gonna have to teach them how to do everything. Like what if you outsourced all of your social media to an expert and you just oversaw it? Or what if you outsource like some sort of a function that to somebody who knows what they're doing, otherwise you're just like creating more work for yourself because you have to teach this person what to do, right? Is often the advice I get, which is kind of similar to what you shared about hiring somebody to manage the finance and manage the operations. Like, as a CEO, you'll still kind of oversee that, but you won't have to own it all. So I think that's kind of similar, but the types of companies you work with are likely bigger where, you know, it might make sense for sure for an assistant to be on the roadmap at some point. So one thing we talked about in preparation for the show was how to help entrepreneurs develop a growth mindset around hiring and how the Money you invest in onboarding somebody is actually an investment in your business. And I'm curious what you see when you're talking to founders about any reservations they have on hiring people. Do you think it's like scarcity mindset around money? Do you think it's around letting go of doing stuff? Like, is it all of it? I'm curious your thoughts on that.
2: All of the above. I would say though, what was an issue over the last four, definitely over the last two to three years, but even more so over the last maybe four to five years was as an early stage company, and this goes back to the communication piece, but as an early stage company, you really can't compete on salaries, especially if you're needing like engineering talent or you're needing like particularly growth marketing talent. And if Google, Apple, or some of these bigger name firms or companies are saying, well, we'll just pay this person, you know, X hundred thousand dollars, then the talent pool becomes extremely scarce for folks who need some of that grade A talent. However, I think now the market's completely changed because everybody's slashing their workforces left and right. And now that's going to have a trickle down effect on the startups who who are going to need some of this talent that has been at these large institutions who no longer have jobs. And so I think now what what we're starting to see is people's mindset changing. And we're trying to get our founders to kind of see this a little bit too. But the opportunity for talent is going to change drastically over the next year or so. And I think what we're going to start to see is a lot more people looking for jobs in the next startup, just like 10 to 12 years ago, when there was a recession and the housing market crashed, we had some of the best companies come out of that time period, because there was a lot of people who lost their jobs and a lot of people who started to think differently about what the future may look like and who they may want to work for. And I think we're going to get through, we're going to start to see some of that now. And so the, the, the personal problems that a lot of founders do face, though, is letting go certain roles. Um, I mean, one one of our portfolio companies, they had an issue with letting go with certain roles or being, or justifying paying a certain amount for certain roles. But I will say it's, that is okay because nobody ever has all the answers when it comes to building a business. And it's, it's not just one person who builds a business. It is a strenuous group effort to make a business successful. And it's an effort to, to try to synthesize as many perspectives that are, Helpful as possible, and so that's where we often step in and try to give the kind of thirty thousand foot view of what's important. Is it important to save your pennies on a sixty k salary, but that sixty k salary could actually turn into maybe a couple million in in revenue for the business, or do you want to still hold on to this particular role because you feel like this is the thing that you need to you need to work on yourself? All that comes into play as we, I think, serve as sounding boards to a lot of founders who are trying to navigate. What are the positions that they need to plug in and what are the things they actually need to let go of? And a lot of our job just turns out to be like therapist.
1: I was going to say you probably like are, are the hype, the hype squad behind them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I feel like I I'm that for some, for a lot as well. It's hard growing a team. It's hard growing a business.
2: Entrepreneurship ain't easy. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) It (laughs) is
1: not. And you look all over social media and all, I guess you you get your own curation of, of things, right? But when I'm on social media, it's mm-hmm. all about entrepreneurship being so easy. And it's not so much about the trenches and the hard conversations and the letting go and the, the self-awareness piece of what you're good at, what you're not. And also, I think there's a lot to be said about founders and CEOs being honest about what's their zone of genius. Like what are they good at and what are they not good at? And how can you hire out what you're not good at? Because people will do it better than you because it is oftentimes the things you're not good at are somebody else is great at. So being honest about that can be hard.
2: I think social media has created a Hollywood effect on entrepreneurship, meaning that it just looks really shiny and fun and stories that you do read. It's like, oh, there's a lot of money and people are successful and entrepreneurship, work hard and all these other things. But at the end of the day, it's quite frankly, 95% of the time, it's just extremely hard. It's a lot of mental gymnastics. It's a lot of pushing and pull. Do I give up this equity? Do I take on this money? Do I hire this person? Do I fire this person? What am I doing wrong? The, the market is changing now. Do I need to change? With them? It's there's so many things at play that, quite frankly, that's only why there's only so few successful entrepreneurs, because one, there's there hasn't been access for some folks, but also there's just some individuals who aren't cut out for it because it's, it's not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing to do. And I think it all starts, to me, everything just starts with self-awareness and having that understanding. And once you have that understanding, the roadmap becomes a lot clearer and you start to remove your ego and you start to remove your kind of hold on the things that you think you cared about a lot, which actually don't really aren't pertinent to the success of your business.
1: Totally. Tell us about the types of portfolio companies you invest in. Who do you look for?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So our fund is called New Age Capital. Our thesis is we focus on investing in technology or technology enabled seed stage companies founded and led by Black and Latinx entrepreneurs. So founder, CEO asked to identify as uh, Black or Latinx. And that's as a result of, you know, we spoke a little early in the show about our experiences trying to build a company and, and the gap we saw in the market. We view seed stage, I think, a little differently than a lot of folks for us. What we call core seed is early signs of product momentum. So there's a product in market, there's some revenue and traction, right? Maybe not a lot, but at least some customers paying for it and using the product to show, hey, the original hypothesis I had and a customer paying for it, there's like a whole valley of death within there that you know founders have to get through and many of them don't. And those that do, for us, that's where it's like that Goldilocks zone for us to invest because we think we know people really well and we can identify opportunity earlier than others when there's a little bit of data. And then our whole thing is, all right, how do we help make that more visible to the world, right? Or to, to later stage investors so that your company becomes undeniable as providing economic value. As far as the founders specifically, and we talk about this often. Uh, you know, I could list off a bunch of traits, but I think to distill it down to a few things, we look for extreme domain expertise. So whatever you're building, wherever you're building it, we don't, believe it's our job to be market specialists, because there's just so many problems in the world that can be solved with technology. But we believe we need to have the same excitement in a company that a founder has, because we believe they deeply, deeply know the problem better than a lot of people, or they may be one of the best people on the planet that knows how to solve that problem. So that expertise is important. We care deeply about, honestly, the maturity of the founder. And that's something we've come to learn over the past year. We like to be involved as much as we need to be. But for us, it's important that you have that self-awareness that we talk about and the ability to communicate so that you can run your business autonomously. We're not coming in there trying to tell you who to hire, what to do, how much you should charge for the product, if you are you have the right customer segment. All those things may change over time. But what shouldn't change and should be a constant is your ability to communicate, your awareness of where you are as a person, your strengths and weaknesses, where the team is at, where the product's at. And as you emerge through different stages of the company, you know, having that maturity and being able to convey the right information to the right people at the right time. For us, that's really important. And then I would say the last thing is um, coachability, right? And that comes a little bit with self-awareness, but like being able to know that, like, hey, I'm really strong. Shit, I could be world class in certain things, but I know there's a lot of things I don't know. And I need to leverage my investors, my team, other folks to give me a better perspective so that hopefully I make better decisions over time. And that's only possible if you're willing to be coached and feel as though you can get better.
1: And do you look for companies that are not traditionally founded in, in some of the normal tech hubs, or is that where you typically find companies, you know, out of the San Francisco, I guess, Austin, now LA, like where do you primarily find companies to to work for or work with? I should say.
2: Yeah, no, it's, Typically. I mean, the best, I think, opportunities come when companies aren't in these kind of traditional tech hubs. But what I'd say is it's when we first started New Age Capital was more about trying to find these opportunities. Now we're trying, I think we've kind of moved a little bit away from like constantly seeking to now creating gravity around our own selves. So creating gravity and attraction around the types of companies that we want to invest in, which is a focus on our brand, which is a focus on the communication that we we put out and the the reputation that we have within a certain founder community that we think are ideal new age capital companies. And I think what we try to do now is focus on putting more energy towards that because that then will allow us to, we are, so one of the things we do is we leave our website open for founders to just submit their companies and Yvonne and I go through them and see which companies are, would make sense to have a conversation, which, and which ones aren't. But being able to have that type of accessibility and be able to kind of create a brand that speaks to that certain founder lightens the load on us going out and trying to seek to find a lot of these companies in these kind of less popular areas. And the, the beautiful thing now too is that founders are actively searching for firms like ours. and So it's just our job to make sure that when they do find us, we're speaking to them or we actually speak.
1: Access and knowledge is definitely opened up for sure. It's not where it probably should be, but it's getting better. Awesome. Is there a social media platform that you guys are more most active on, where, where people can kind of follow what you're up to or gain insights from you? you
2: no, know, we actually do social media.
1: I'm impressed.
2: We like to do things like this because, quite frankly, it's it's not a contrived form of communication. It allows us to just speak freely and you hear it directly from us as opposed to a certain amount of characters or some highlight reel. And so we try to do the social media thing, but quite frankly, it just seems it just doesn't seem that just seems fake. And we, that's just not who we are as individuals. So we'll do, we'll sit down and chat with anybody all day long, which is why we open up our, you know, our website for for people to kind of hit us up whenever, but uh, the best way to follow us, we do have kind of like a blog that we'll post stuff on if there's write ups and things and uh, whatnot. But yeah, that's
0: contacting us directly is the best way to follow us. Yeah. And our blog is keepit100.vc. That's where we'll post even like the podcast we do and whatnot. So you can essentially there's a paper trail of New Age Capital since its inception on there. Um, we have all our original blog posts and podcasts and other things we've done over the years. So it would be hard to not know who we are and what we stand for if you've spent an afternoon kind of just digging into into our blog page.
1: Awesome. Well, then I'm inspired to ask you guys one last question before we wrap up. If you had to pick one or two books that you think every founder should read about scaling and growing a team. Do you have any recommendations? Well, what would you pick?
2: Yeah, I think I'll just say my, one of my favorite books, which has nothing to do with rolling and scaling a team, but it has everything like what we're talking about in terms of like self awareness. And it's uh, David Goggins book. Can't hurt me.
1: Can't hurt me. Okay. Amazing.
2: And it has nothing to do with tech startups, but everything to do with an individual and, pushing through what you think your comfort level is. And he kind of tells his story through that regard. But I think it's a it's a wonderful book about how we're not really working that hard and we're almost too comfortable with, you know, the lives that we lead. And I think it allows, it's allowed me to kind of think differently about what is real pain versus like, oh, that's just makes me uncomfortable. And I think a lot of people should challenge that within themselves as they're becoming an entrepreneur and even thinking about building out a team. These are the questions we should be asking ourselves daily. I think that allows you to start thinking about how, you you know, you want to grow your team or scale your team or even start a business.
1: Yeah, for sure. And with that, you just, if you haven't read the book Comfort Crisis, that is also an amazing book about how we live way too comfortable of a life and how it's ruining us mentally so that that would be a good one we
0: talk about this all the time
1: because at the end of the day that's what entrepreneurship is it's literally an inner person like if you don't like personal development and growth like don't be an entrepreneur Like,
0: like exactly that's a fact
1: That is a fact. That is probably the most important piece. Well, I'm so grateful that you guys were on the show. And thank you so much for providing a different perspective to listeners than we've had on. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I will definitely make sure to put it link in some of the, the stuff that you guys shared. So thank you so much. As always, listeners, thanks for tuning in. And please make sure to follow Hiring School on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to give us a rate and review. It's how we'll help more of you build and scale your businesses. So thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.